101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. And on this edition of the show, my guest will be my broadcast partner on Fox Sports Midwest. Great player, one of the all-time best in St. Louis Cardinals history, the Cardinals Hall of Famer, outfielder Jim Edmonds. Played for the Angels, the Cardinals, the Padres, the Cubs, the Brewers, and then the Cincinnati Reds. A lifetime 284 hitter, 393 homers, and nearly 1,200 runs batted in. One of the great players in the Cardinals organization, a Cardinals career that took him to the Cardinals Hall of Fame. LaRue to center. Did he get all of it? Going back, going back. It is. Did he catch it? He did it again. He did it again. Edmonds, a miraculous catch to center field. In the air, deep left center field. Edmonds on the run. Dives and he's got it. Throw into second base. They can't double up. Kent, what a play by Jim Edmonds. There's no way he catches this ball. Look at where he is. Look at the ground he's making up. And the full dive and extension away from the play. Edmonds hit 42 home runs during the regular season. center field long run for Jim Edmonds oh he made a catch unbelievable Jerry that may be the best catch I have ever seen Um, first of all I want to thank the DeWitts obviously their family their whole family and the entire Cardinal organization from top to bottom Um, this obviously would have never happened if it wasn't for that great trade back in spring training of 2000. Um, Thank you for approving that, by the way. Um, Thank you for the six guys in the back row with the original red jackets for treating me like family since day one. And the fans, obviously, the best part of the whole thing. If it wasn't for you guys, baseball wouldn't be as much fun as it is. Uh, you made it like Little League every day, especially you beat bleacher bums. That w- <laughs> they wouldn't sit down until I waved to you every single home game for eight years. Whether you know it or not, I love that every day. It was awesome. I appreciate it. Um, thanks to Mike Shannon, obviously. Marty Marion, so blessed to be a part of this group. Willie McGee, one of my newest good friends. Can't wait to play golf next spring training. Uh, just thank you. I, I don't even know what to say. This is, uh, this is above and beyond what I'd ever think. 
uh, to put on this red jacket, sit there in the, in, the, uh, in the dugout for eight years and watch these great players stand at home plate and be celebrated. Um, I was a little confused by the red jacket at first. Didn't know if I'd ever get a chance to put one on, and now I'm not sure I'm wor worthy of it. So uh, I'd just like to thank everybody for showing up today. And thank you again to all of you guys for coming, making this so special, and once again to the Cardinal organization. Um, hopefully I'm around for a long time, and a Cardinal for life. Thank you. So coming up, we'll talk about the trade that brought him to St. Louis, the great plays in 2004 that saved the Cardinal season, that sent them to the World Series. Why isn't he into baseball's Hall of Fame and what it meant to go into the Cardinals Hall of Fame? Wide-ranging interview this hour with my guest, Jim Edmonds. I'm Dan McLaughlin. My guest will be outfielder Jim Edmonds. When I look at, at you, you played with six different teams, six different clubs, but you are known as a Cardinal. Do you, do you feel that way, that you feel like, okay, when people talk about Jim Edmonds, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal? Um, well, I think so. I'm not really sure, though. I think that, you know, if you ask a bunch of Southern California people, they still kind of link me with the Angels. Um, but the majority of my career, I think the majority of obviously my success came in St. Louis. So I don't really look at those little tour stops as kind of playing with teams. It's kind of I guess it's one of those things I always wished I played for the same team for for the entire um, time in my career. So I was kind of hoping to finish off with the Cardinals, but it didn't happen that way. So like everything else, just kind of move on. What did it mean to be a Cardinal for you? If someone was to say, what did, what did Cardinal baseball mean to Jim Edmonds, what would you say? I would say when I was in the middle of it, it, it meant that I was playing on a good team. Um, I'd say now that it means that it was part of history and probably one of the top two historic franchises in the world uh and i think of almost any sport and um looking back and looking to see how important it is to the people of the city uh, the organization itself and just everyone involved i think it just was a special time in my life and uh, um yeah i think to be a cardinal is a, a pretty uh, amazing feat it was an amazing trade it's one of the great trades in the history of the cardinals kent bottenfield had one good year and Adam Kennedy was a young player that had a great World Series for the Angels, so it worked out for them. But you come over and have a Hall of Fame-type career in St. Louis. So take me back when they say to you, you're free agent to be, and the management team says, all right, Jimmy, we're making this move. You're going to St. Louis. A Southern California kid going to the Midwest. What did you think? I really didn't know what to expect. Um, were you open-minded to it, though? Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a choice. They told me I was right. traded. So, uh, you know, it was weird. Uh, they pulled me off the field with about a week and a half left to go in spring training and basically told me, after be being told that I wasn't going to get traded, they told me I was being traded to St. Louis, and I said to the guy, I thought I wasn't going to get traded. He said, Stoneman was the GM there, and he said to me, uh, no, I told you you weren't going to get traded to New York. And so he lied about that. But I was crushed. I mean, I was only 28 or 29 years old. And um, everything I knew, even though it was time for me to move on, everything I knew was in California, my family, my home, uh, the, the past 11 years of baseball, minor leagues and, and major leagues. And it was just, it was scary. It really was. Um, saving grace for me was uh, Mike James was going to be on the other end when I got there. And it was the one person that I knew. I knew, obviously, that Mark was here, but didn't know him that well. Um, and so... You know, you just, it's the part of business that everyone um, 
that most people don't see. And it's just you move on and you deal with it. So you go to St. Louis. What was your initial impression when you got to Jupiter? Well, I got a, um, I got in early and Larissa called me and I was kind of uh, tired, obviously, and a little kind of just fuzzy in what was going on. And he just kind of said, come on in and play like you can play and make yourself at home. And they sat me right in the corner next to Dunstan and and uh, McGuire and um, Eric Davis. And that was that year that I think we probably had one of the best teams I've ever been involved in. And I got a standing ovation the first day in spring training. So never seen anything like it. Um, never forget it. Uh, and about 10, 15 days later, I got a standing ovation first game in, uh, in St. Louis. So from then on out, I knew I was in the right place. I was going to ask you that. What was opening day like for you? And I'm assuming guys had said to you, yeah, opening day is pretty cool in St. Louis. But what was it like for you? I, I didn't know anything about it. And, you know, really? So you know nothing I, about yeah, it going and I, and I think this is the still – we talk about this all the time. This is still the, the biggest problem with players today is they don't really know what to expect. They're not explained – um, a lot of things in the game. They're not explained um, what's to be asked or what's coming up next or how to get them um, mentally ready for whatever happens, a snow out, a rain out, a bad travel day. Um, you know, most of the time you see the players, they're irritated because they're just so used to just coming and going from the stadium and not getting bothered. So I didn't really know that much about it and I didn't really open it with, um, I didn't really welcome it with open arms. It was just one more thing. You had to be out there early, and I think sometimes that leads to bad attitudes with players. And so um, once I got on the car and went around, I was blown away with the crowd and the experience. And like I said, um, right after that opening day, or uh, my first at bat, um, the standing ovation was insane. And I don't really remember going around the stadium in the car like I do now um, as far as doing it. But I do – Remember my first at bat, and it was pretty crazy. What happened in that at bat? Do you remember? No, I think I went zero for three my first day, uh, and I got <laughs> with a, a standing O with a standing O, and then I got a um, a jam shot home run uh, to left center field in the old stadium, and I knew I was forever going to play in that stadium. So, <laughs> and if Old Bush was still here, I would still be trying to play. I bet, I bet you would. You loved. I, I've never heard a guy talk about Bush Stadium too more uh, in terms of loving that stadium than you you love that place it fit my game it, it fit um the ability to go get the ball without a big gap um my my blazing speed that I didn't have um it, it fit me as a fly ball gap hitter um the ball carried when it got hot um it's funny though when it got really really hot it didn't carry because it, it got so it did it thick just, inside yeah. there um so you always like to see a little bit of wind in the summer um, you didn't like to see the flags pointing straight down. But you know what? I just enjoyed it, even though it was tough to play defense at times. Billy had his hands full with the turf and kind of not having any air inside there right. as the grass would sometimes rip up. But uh, I, it, the challenges were amazing, and just I, there's nothing better than playing in a fair ballpark uh, offensively and defensively. So you went into St. Louis open-minded, at least, with the idea that I'll at least listen if the Cardinals want to extend me, were you, were you open-minded? Is that fair to say? I was open-minded uh, on the airplane and the first couple of days in spring training. And I think I was sold as soon as I um, started playing, especially after opening day, I, I told my agent, I said, don't tell them, but I don't want to go anywhere else. Is that right? <laughs> yeah. And that's probably the reason why I ended up signing um, pretty quick in the middle of the season. Um, it was a great opportunity. I think I had 25 or six home runs at the break. Um, and you know, the agent plays the devil's advocate. You can always get hurt tomorrow or you can, you know, secure your, your, uh, 
um, lifestyle for the rest of your life and your family. So um, I enjoyed it. I milked it for all I could and tried to get a decent pay raise. But uh, in all in all, I, it was a great decision. And um, I knew from day one that I wasn't going anywhere else. Did you ever think if I would have waited, had a great year, which you had a tremendous year, if I would have waited, what might have been on the open market? Because you probably left a few bucks on the table. Yeah. I, I or mean, did, did it even matter? It didn't matter at the time, but it did. At the, I mean, it's weird. It, it's something like being comfortable is an, is an amazing um, is an amazing thing. And I don't think 99% of the population ever gets that. I mean, yeah. you're always chasing something, right? right. It, even for us right now, we're always chasing um, having job stability or, you know, always wanting to pay off your house or your farm or whatever it is. You, no one ever has enough except for the one, you know, zero zero point one percent of the population. And they're always striving to be better and have more. So, um, yeah, I left some money on the table, but I, I could not imagine starting over because I knew what it was like in Anaheim. And it was from the ground to the heavens difference in how it was in St. Louis. And I didn't want to really risk going backwards again. So I probably left a couple million dollars a year on the table, you know, if, if not probably more than two or three. But, um, you know, that's all to be determined by the way you finish out your season. And just so happened that I hit 42 home runs that year and, and drove in 100. And I think I might have hit 300 or 296 or in that area. So maybe um, I would like to try to take that on the open market today, though, and see what happens. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was thinking if you and it's not that far removed. I mean, you're. You're not that far retired. Seven years, yeah. Yeah, and I was trying to think if, if Jim Edmonds, before we did this, I was thinking if he hit the open market today, $200, $250 million in your prime, maybe, yeah. with today? Yeah, you know, it, it's funny. I, I don't. And the crazy thing to me is now looking back, I don't. you don't even get paid to play defense. And that was one, exactly. of, the, one of the funny things. Um, when I was playing in Anaheim, they signed Tim Salmon to a multi-year deal, and he was making $10 million on the nose. And through the grapevine, I heard no one's ever going to get paid more than Tim Salmon. And I was like, okay, well, I'm now putting up bigger numbers than he is, and I'm playing center field. So you're basically telling me I can play anywhere on the field right? and not kill myself and still not get more than he was worth. So um, that's the reality of it. I felt like there was always a little bit of a disrespect towards the defensive side of the game, so i got to deal with it. Wide-ranging interview this hour with my guest, Jim Edmonds, 101 ESPN. I'm Dan McLaughlin. My guest will be my broadcast partner on Fox Sports Midwest, Jim Edmonds. 2004, uh, you guys go to the World Series. You make the – well, you send us to Game 7 with your home run, and then you save the game with the catch. Uh, Which moment's better for you when you look back? Probably, obviously, the home run. This is the whole thing, right? So, the like I said, the disrespect with defense. Obviously, yeah. the home run is is obviously gets seen more than the catch. But um, for me, they're both equally uh, the same. I really enjoyed doing both. I really because the offensive side of baseball is so difficult at times. Um, the defense is not, and that was something that I had to push myself to get better and to concentrate and be willing to want to do that because I had to help the team when I was struggling. And that's just one way I learned. And um, so I think with the, the defense being overlooked all the time, I think that, you know, offense gets the, the shine the most. It bothers me. Um, and I didn't realize this until we started doing games together of the amount of work that you put into the game. People think that it came really easy for Jim Edmonds. I think that's the general consensus. I don't know if you would agree with that. But you worked your, your butt off to become a great, great player. 
and and I think that gets overlooked. Do you feel that way too? Yeah, I think so. I, to be honest with you, you know, I think that the jokes of trying to dive for balls that really that I didn't try to. I mean, landing on the ground at full speed is not something that I really, not a lot of fun. No, not a lot of fun. I mean, I'm paying for it now with. Probably, I think I just had my 13th surgery. Uh, my back is still loose from the vertebrae being stretched out. In the last couple of years, I tried to take pride in staying off the ground. It's just impossible to play the game hard and stay off the ground. So I felt like, yeah, it gets overlooked. I, I was just thinking the other day about every day when you go out there um, on the field. And regardless of just what's going on in your life, like I had to go out there and throw even when my arm was killing me or I wouldn't be ready to play in the game. So every day during batting practice, for five to ten minutes, I had to take force myself to take ground balls in the outfield and throw to a base. So I had to wait for someone to be available to take the throws. I had to get a coach to hit balls. Uh, and that ended up being a routine. But for a while, you have to force yourself to do it or your arm just will not stay strong enough to get through the year. And I thought that was pretty important, which nobody really cares about. Right? People can't throw anymore to save their life. So it's just part of how I learned how to play the game. And I just I wasn't going to change. When... Um I think about the greatest catches I've ever seen. One of the best plays, if not the best play I've ever called, was your catch in Cincinnati, which still I I think is the best play I've ever seen defensively. Um, And then I look back and I've seen the catch in Kauffman Stadium in 1997 with your back fully to the infield and then outstretched going towards the wall. As you look back at your greatest plays, which one stands out for you or maybe those two aren't the two best for you? Um, I feel like we watch those so much that for me, I almost become a spectator and I'm sure that at the moment when you saw that and now you look back on it, you almost remember it sitting there watching TV now versus sitting in the booth. And that's kind of how I feel. Um, I think the Kansas city one was a blur. Um, to be funny, uh, to be perfectly honest with you in 1992, I went to winter ball. And I made that exact same catch down in um, Venezuela. Really? Uh, more of a line drive, uh, more um, up against the wall. And when I landed on the ground, my, my glove hand and my hand slid underneath the chain link fence that was in the Venezuelan outfield. Is that right? And they called it the greatest catch ever to be made in Venezuela. And then two months later, I never heard about right. it because it wasn't televised. Uh, it wasn't um, on anything. And uh, it was playing against Luis Soho's team who played for the Yankees. Um, that that play was amazing um, to me. Um, the Kansas City, I mean the uh, Cincinnati catch was the whole story, and you know the story with Isringhausen um, just kind of made it pretty fun. Um, For those that don't know, a couple of the nights bef- the night before that was a really good catch. I think it was just a timing right. catch. It was barely over the wall, but it was a weird play. Um, I had a play in Toronto, maybe the year of the catch in Kansas City. Where it was the same play over my shoulder, but the wall, the ball was actually going to hit the wall, and I just jumped into the air and caught the ball kind of over my shoulder like a receiver and hit the yeah. wall and fell down. Um, I had a play one time in New York that I ran full speed into the wall and actually knocked the padding off the wall where the old bullpen was that I thought was a pretty good play. I think it was like a no-hitter. I was trying to save a no-hitter. But stuff like that is just a lot of fun. The memories are, are what's most important to me, not actually the play itself. You like the call. I love the call. You better like the call. The call is amazing. The call is a ridiculous call. It's probably one of the best <laughs> of all times. Um, right below some of the Jack Buck calls, of thank course. Thank you. Thank you. Um, Jason LaRue, you robbed him like 
no fewer than I'd say six times at yeah, least. He was uh, on the on the wrong end of some of the. Uh, I think him and Brad Osmus. No, Osmus was the other one. He got that was four. But I mean, he Brad Osmus always hit the ball in the right center field gap, and um, I uh, remember Zambrano threw a no hitter in Chicago. And we actually played in Milwaukee. Right. It was with on, the uh, on a, when there was right. one of the hurricanes came through Houston, and same thing. It was like early in the game, and I knew it. And he said, "It doesn't matter what team you're playing for; <laughs> you're still robbing me." So, yeah, they, those two guys got the worst of it. But both of those guys hit the ball in the same spot over and over. And I played a lot of defense after watching um, ESPN. Yeah, because you, if you really think about right now, if you whatever sport you watch. If you watch ESPN on a nightly basis, you see the same guys doing the same things. You see a guy like um, Durant and Curry. They make the same plays every night on the highlights, right? That's their plays. You see the same guys in the NBA or the NFL making the same plays and the same runs and the same throws. You see the same guys in Major League Baseball hitting the same pitches for home runs in the same spot. So that gets stuck in my mind as I'm watching this guy walk to the plate. And I say to myself, if Jason LaRue gets a pitch that's elevated, he's going to hit it right there. If it's on the ground I, or if it's low in the zone, I don't have to worry about it. Right. So as soon as that ball comes out of the pitcher's hand, I can see if it's above the, 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 the belt. And then I already know i got to start running. If it's below the belt, it's not coming to me. Who was your favorite player growing up? I was a pitcher growing up, and I watched a lot of Nolan Ryan. I thought it was pretty fantastic to be able to actually look like the ball was rising on TV. And how hard did you throw? Me? Yeah. Um, before I hurt my arm my senior year, I think I was clocked around 93. So uh, you had a chance. Handed. Yeah, I had a chance. I was a big-time prospect as a pitcher. And um, I went out to a scout game throwing for, back in the day, they had scout teams that what organizations sure. would put on to get all the youth from the city to come out and throw in front of a bunch of scouts in a real live game where guys were playing, getting ready for spring training. You know, minor league guys, big league guys are getting warmed up, and then a lot of high school players. And I tried to overthrow one day and tore a muscle in my shoulder, and that was that. But you were athletic enough, obviously, to play the outfield, and you were doing some of that anyway. Yeah, I was already playing center field okay. uh, my junior year. Uh, my sophomore year, I ended up playing a little bit. Of that. They wouldn't let me hit because I was so young. I was the youngest guy on the team by far. I graduated at 17. So I think my sophomore year, I was still 15 years old, maybe, um, maybe even less. And our right fielder um, got so nervous, he almost threw up in the outfield in a big game. And the coach was like, get out there. And I never looked back. He never yeah. played again, and I never stopped playing. Who was the most influential guy in your career? Could have been as a little leaguer, could have been your dad, could have been a player. Who do you think um, it is? I think my dad, obviously, but he, he really wasn't the pusher behind the baseball. He was just always there for me, throwing and throwing and throwing. Uh, he taught me a lot about pitching, which I unfortunately didn't get to use. Um, a guy named Randy Capano was um, one of my best friends growing up's father, and he played in the minor leagues, and he threw to me every day. Is that uh, right? Cal Poly Pomona, uh, Mount Sac College, everything in that little area around us where I grew up in Diamond Bar. We, every day. And so he would throw 100 baseballs to his son, and I would shag. And I think this is how I got my defense um, ability from this. He threw every day. He threw 100 baseballs to him, and I would shag the outfield. And I would try to not let any ball in the air drop because it would make him so mad. Or, to, you know, I would sure. catch everything. And then he would turn around and throw 100 to me, and he would run all over the field. So that's what we did as our childhood. After baseball practice, after football practice, and after soccer practice, we did that almost every day. And then um, I think – Probably in the big leagues, a lot of guys, but maybe Bobby Knopp taught me mm -hmm. how to play defense and how to play defense smart. And then I think the person who taught me the most how to grow up was LaRusso. 
you're pretty tight with Tony, aren't you? Yeah, I mean, we've obviously had our differences, but so have I with my father. So, um, you know, I think him, my dad teaching me away from baseball and Tony teaching me during baseball how to act away from the game and on the field at the same time, too. I've never asked you this, and we've talked about so many things in our lives and outside of baseball. I always wanted to ask you, and I'm going to do it now, what did you think when Tony, when you were coming back as a Cub, and Tony said something to the effect of, don't give him a standing ovation, he's not a Cardinal anymore, he's... He's a cub. Well, did that bother you? It did because it was what really happened was I got an um, I had a really big day in Chicago and it was about a week before we were going. He had a couple home runs, I think. <clears throat> yeah, it was right before we were going to play the Cardinals, and uh, the guy, the same reporter, kept asking me, "Do you finally feel like you're a cub? Do you finally feel like you're this?" And like I'm, I was like, as far as I know, I am a cub. Like I have this uniform on, right. and I'm pointing to my shirt. And one of our reporters happened to be there, or somebody told him just that. As far as I know, I am a Cub. And that got back to Tony without any of the rest of the, right. obviously, the, the quote. Um, and so he was like, well, that's what he's gonna, how he's going to act, then let's treat him that way. And you Tony doing his best Tony to oh, yeah. try to you know, give his team the advantage. And if, any, you know, if he could do it, you know, he would. And so right. I don't really um, – I'm not really mad at him for that, although it would have been, you know, a very nice uh, ovation and, and a good huge. time to come back. Um, but, you know, I've gotten a million of those since, so yeah. it, it was just part of the history. Wide-ranging interview this hour with my guest, Jim Edmonds. I'm Dan McLaughlin, and on this edition of the show, my guest will be my broadcast partner on Fox Sports Midwest. Great player, one of the all-time best in St. Louis Cardinals history, the Cardinals Hall of Famer outfielder Jim Edmonds. I, I don't know if you feel this way, if you're most proud of this, but everybody I talk to says Jim Edmonds was a great player, a Hall of Fame player, but man, he was a hell of a teammate. He was like my best friend when I was down, he was there. When I was up, he was there. He was just a hell of a teammate. Are, are you proud of that fact that you know, guys now, as you look back on your career, look at you as being really influential in helping them out. Yeah, I think so. I think what I did... You took pride in that, didn't you? I, well, what I did was I learned from the guys who did it the right way, and I learned from the guys who did it the wrong way. And I, I kind of tried to stay away from that line and do it the right way. And guys like you know Cecil Fielder and, and Chili Davis I played with and Ricky Henderson and Cecil Fielder probably the most, him and Chili. Uh, Cecil Fielder was like the ultimate veteran and he was the guy who would get an extra room for guys to escape. Uh, he would buy cases of beer if anyone wanted to have a drink. He would buy dinner for everyone that was young and really didn't have the money that he did. And Chili Davis was the same way. And, and the veterans like that that I played with when I was young left a mark. Uh, Jack McDowell, um, when I was in Anaheim, got an extra suite for the whole team that he paid for. Um, and those are the things that we learned to do yeah. as we got a little bit older. But the one thing that I learned the most was when you're hazing a rookie, I never got it because I was playing every day. And so I felt that if a guy was going to come up and um, be a huge part of the team, why am I going to beat him down and make him not feel a part of this team? Right. Like I can see if a, a kid – uh, deserves it or he's a goofball or, and so we make fun of him but if you're helping our team win I'm not going to pull you backwards and make you feel like you should be in AAA or make you feel like you hate it because when you're inside that clubhouse every day and we're sitting here um, and there's guys at the stadium right now everyone's sleeping in everyone's going to do their own thing but there's guys that are working out together and throwing and having to rely on each other I never wanted that um, 
to to separate our clubhouse, and I think it you know it played a, a, a lot of uh, favors in the long run. You, you were such a good teammate. You became very close to Mark McGuire. I I think it's been a disservice to him the way that he's been treated, and especially not maybe not so much anymore, but initially when everything came out with PEDs. Did that bother you to see what he was going through? And I know you you contacted him, and no one was hearing from him. He wasn't around. No one knew his thoughts. But yet he's been kind of labeled that guy as the, I don't know if the poster child is the right way to say it, but you know what I mean. It's it's more on him than the other guys that were doing it. Does that bother you? I think it's it's weird that he got singled out. Um, and it, and I also think people don't realize what a good player he was. Um, he hit 49 home runs his rookie year, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. Um, that, that just got surpassed in 2017. So if you look back, that's been a long time. Um, yeah, I mean, like, there's guys now that you take the Clemens and the Bonds and all those guys that are not in the Hall of Fame, and there's plenty of guys in the Hall of Fame that did the PEDs and the steroids and um, guys that I watched with my own eyes grow over the winter, like ridiculous. And um, it's part of the game. I, I, it's funny you say something about this because I'm going to bring something in to show you this season, and you're going to be blown away at the baseballs that I found in my in my bag of tricks. And we talk about how hard some of the baseballs yeah. are back then. You see some of the baseballs. You see how good Mark McGuire was. You see how soft the baseballs were. Not anymore. Uh, probably the last, at the very tail of my career up until the last couple of years. Um, I, I just think it sucks for him. You know, I think that maybe we should move on past and see what an ambassador of the game he was and what he did for the game. There's a lot of guys to blame, and there's a lot of people to blame. I just feel bad that he's getting kind of singled out a little bit. Hopefully that kind of will die out over time. Coaching, managing, is that in your future? Um, I talked to Larusa about this a little bit, and he, you know, he said I have too much to offer to not be involved. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out a way to make sure that my services are always here. Um, I, the more I watch, the more things come back up to um, to my mind. And it, what's crazy now is now I'm watching my son play little league, and I find myself correcting every single player on the field like quickly like just little things as far as like even the pitching go goes with the windups and like the kids swing and and they all just and it's what's great is they're all at that age now where they actually listen and my son especially is now listening so if I can't do it at the big league level I mean that's kind of why I did this job I did this job to stay close to the game so I could always be there to help instead of just going to spring training watching somebody for a week and then disappearing for most of the year now I felt like I'm now watching 60 or 70 games a year and even more at home, and now I'm here if anyone needs me. So hopefully that'll someone will see that and, and know that I'm, I'm mean business when I talk about that. I thought you uh, got into broadcasting because you enjoyed our company. I, I enjoy the calls. and I just that, don't, that's I, what I like. The one I don't like is I have to lay out, so to speak, <laughs> and be quiet, or they will just mute my voice in the highlight. <laughs> <laughs> Your kids go back and, and see the highlights? Do you ever show them? No. Are I, they curious? I, I don't. I think that um, in my oldest two have seen it. They probably don't really care about it anymore. My son is obsessed with it at times. He thinks it's cool that I'm still in the video games. One day, I'll, I've always asked someone if they could put me together a package, a legit package, for I could show my kids and have forever. And I haven't really got that done yet, so that's something I'm looking forward to trying to do uh, in the future. And not just the same highlights every day. I'm talking about like an hour's worth of clips of sure. good and bad and talking and whatever. So we'll see how that goes. Do guys come up to you and ask for advice? A lot of guys do and a lot of guys don't. Um, you it, think they're it, intimidated? 
Um, no, I just don't think people realize what there is out there yeah. um, for for knowledge from even everywhere. I mean, I you know what's really weird is when I go down on the field um, when I you know we're usually working the Cardinals are on the team, so I'll go down there and try to say hi to some guys at the end. And the opposing team, I get a lot of a lot of guys coming up to that. me. Um, a lot of guys in Chicago. Um, still get some phone calls from Anaheim. Um, I sat down with Matt Adams this this winter. Uh, he was trying to learn how to play the outfield, and he wanted to sit down. We had lunch. Um, I get phone calls, and I get guys from the other team and managers coming up and introducing me to younger players that say, oh, he was my idol, but I don't want to meet him, or I, w- I don't want to like go over there. So right. that's pretty cool because there's some really good players out there now that I like to watch, and I see how athletic some can be. So that's fun. When you went into the Cardinals Hall of Fame, what did it mean to you? Um, a lot. I think that uh, my I think my career was always um, I think I was always disrespected as a player uh, from the total package. So in order for the Cardinals to do that, um, I thought it was pretty special. I still think it's 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 bizarre because you still see the Hall of Famers there, and um, never to be put on that platform ever uh, with some of those guys. And I still don't think we realize how good Gibby and Brock and Shane Deason, um, all those guys were, even to know about how good Joe Torre was in his playing career. And just to be around those guys is pretty special. And I still don't think that we grasp the magnitude of how good Stan was and, and guys like that. So it's pretty cool. And when opening day is is going on and you're introduced, you got the red jacket on, you're shaking your head right it's now. crazy. You're it's still, still getting crazy. some of the loudest ovations, it, if that's the biggest. And it's still crazy. I mean, it is. And, and to think, like, I get to spend a lot of time with Willie and talk to him and Ozzy and, and have, I mean, Ozzy is the best shortstop in the history of baseball, I, I think. And Willie, what a fan favorite. And just to be around those guys and have dinner and talk and go through these same stories uh, is, is crazy. And, um, yeah, it's weird. It, it's kind of humbling. I mean, it's it really is. And the funny thing that I'm getting a kick out of now more than anything besides me as a baseball player is now my kids get to enjoy it. Sure. And so now that the kids are old enough to have phones, they're getting text messages <laughs> and they're getting screenshots. And, and my kids, See. are they think that's pretty cool. So that's, that's all I need now. You know, you mentioned ESPN. Just a couple more questions. And I have made the case, and I'm sure you know this, I, I think Jim Edmonds is a Hall of Famer. Baseball Hall of Famer. Your numbers should prove that out. 393 home runs, I think I'm right. An average of 284, eight gold gloves. Uh, and this day and age of, there's a couple things I think of. This day and age of ESPN, you were right in the middle of it. They're showing the highlight reel catches. So now your exposure was going out to not just West Coast, East Coast. It was going everywhere. And then I think about that with Sabermetrics, they put a premium on defense. You're one of the best defensive center fielders that ever played the game, and you don't go in the Hall of Fame. I was shocked that you weren't going into the Hall of Fame, much less one year on the ballot. As you reflect on that, what what comes to mind? It's disappointing. I think I wasn't expected to make the Hall of Fame, but it's it, it, it's par for the course with my career, just being overlooked all the time. But um, it, it's just disappointing that people didn't think um, highly enough of me to keep me around for a year or two or for 1% of the people for two votes out of, I don't know how many couple hundred at least guys to, um, think that, um, that's all I was. I mean, that's the way it goes. What are we going to do? We're just going to move on. So, um, my dad thought it was pretty funny because he's like, that's typical for what you went through in your career and all the people that 
tried to say you did things that you didn't. And people said that my father was hard on me, which my dad was my big, biggest supporter. Um, to to have that happen, his funny side of him was like, well, at least you don't have to worry about that every year anymore. So right. that's how we look at it. you know. Yeah. And, and um, the coolest thing to me, I think, is I still have guys like you, but people all over the country still walk up to me and say, you should be in the Hall of Fame. You're the best, buddy. Thanks Thank for you. doing this. Anytime.